House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. The House of Mystery, and now we are at the interview part of the uh, show, and t today we have a, a great uh, writer. Uh, his name is J.D. Horn. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, um, how is everything going for you now? Do you, uh, you know, as a writer, um, has this whole COVID thing sort of um, put a damper on your your writing, or does it affect you? Well, I, you know, I have to admit, other than not being able to go to the gym or run without a mask, my life is pretty much the same. You know, because I sit at home in front of my computer typing. So that's, uh, I think, a lot of writers feel the same way. It's like, other than the impending sense of doom. Everything's exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but would that put a dark cloud on on your writing? Um, oh gosh, you write a story. You know, I I I don't know if that would necessarily put a dark cloud on your writing, um, but I do think on my writing. But I do think that um, it challenges uh, you in the stories that you're telling, whether um, in this post-pandemic world. Um, I'm looking ahead, assuming we're going to survive, um, whether the stories really still hold value, whether, you know, and so um, I know some friends who, one friend in particular I'm thinking of who writes um, near-future science fiction, and she has been having a hard time keeping up for years now, um, and so it's a matter of, you know, looking at what you're writing, looking to see if there are fundamental truths about, um, you know, either humanity that you want to tell, or just still entertaining aspects of the story you want to tell and see if they still will play in the world that we have going forward. Now, now in your writing, you're, you're writing, um, I guess, primarily fiction. Um, now, what, what's it, so it's called Dark Fantasy and also um, the best-selling Witching Savannah series. So how do you get your ideas... And where do you where do you drive that from? Like, where does that come from? Well, I've got two um, series. Um, one is set in Savannah, um, and then another, the second is set in uh, New Orleans. And I have a standalone, which is called Chivalry, and it is set set in a fictional town in Mississippi. Um, the I've always been fascinated with the occult, and um, it just found the, the occult found its way into my stories. So. Um, in Savannah, it is um, much more sort of uh, ancient alien influenced with like kind of interdimensional demons being the bad guys. Whereas with the New Orleans series, um, when I set out to write that, um, I was, well, okay, here's a case where a dark shadow did come over my writing. Um, I promised sort of a light mystery with, uh, you know, paranormal things into my publisher and like I like to say, I promised them bibbity bobbity boo and I turned in Night on Bald Mountain and um, because life was pretty dark for a while. And uh, so the ideas come from just my general reading, my interest in the occult, um, and my interest in human beings. I like using magic as a metaphor. I like, I play heavily into family drama. Um, so... You could imagine, um, you could take magic out of some of my stories, and I think they would still stand just as family sort of relationship stories. But 
when you put the magic in, they're a lot more fun. As a fiction writer, when you have characters in these stories, um, do you take them from people you actually know or have met or maybe even live with and um, kind of take their um, personalities and, and maybe um, what it is they do in life and incorporate it in your stories? I actually tend not to do that. Most of my characters are um, characters who sort of reveal themselves to me. Um, I'm fairly convinced if they ever get my medication adjusted, I will be out of the corner. Um, but I think that um, I can think of a few times where I have taken inspiration from outside sources. Um, one is Natalie in the um, New Orleans series, and um, she just, I knew a woman many years ago, we weren't close, we weren't friends, but she was like this very tough, strong woman who was the kindest person on the planet, and just the memory of this woman whose name is Chris sort of helped me pull together Natalie. Um, but normally, if you make it into one of my books, it's because I don't like you. There's this uh, fire, there's a there's a, there's a United Airlines Air, Airlines employee in Savannah, Georgia, who made me so angry that I was willing to miss my flight to talk to his manager. Um, and so I wrote him into a book where I decapitated him and had his head turned into a chandelier. So I felt good about that choice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least you didn't do it in real life. No, no, I'm not quite that crazy. But, uh, yeah, no, it felt good to uh, serve this guy up a little bit of justice on, you know, in one of my books. Hey, how do you, um, how do you make a character grow? Um, if it's not based on someone you know and you're doing a series of books and you have a character throughout a book or even a couple of books, how can you grow with that? And, and how long does that take you to do that process? It depends on the character. Some characters just spring fully formed, um, as with Gilo from the uh, Savannah series. Uh, with that book, I had written the first, say, 150 pages six or seven times, and I could not get it past that point. And I swear I heard a voice saying, I, you know, boy, I know what happens next. If you listen to me, I'll tell you. And she took over. And I'm like, either they need, I need to see a therapist or I need to start typing. So I opted for typing. And she really did. She basically wrote the first two books of that series. And um, so she sort of sprang fully formed. She just felt like she was there. Other characters you really have to work for. Um, Alice from the New Orleans series. I was trying to write her as a particular type of person, and she was not coming alive, not coming to the page. And six weeks before the first draft was due to my publisher, I still didn't have a book. And I thought, I'm going to have to write her out. She was supposed to be the main character, but she was the only one who wasn't working. And I woke up one morning, and suddenly she was there. She told me everything I had wrong about her, that she wasn't the person I was trying to write her as, that her life experiences weren't what I was trying to force on her. And the second I listened to her, boom, she was there. But it was after about seven months of struggling with that character. Um, it was only when I'm like, you know, either you got to stand up or you're cut. She came through to me. Um, so I don't know. For me, the characters always sort of bring themselves to life, and if they don't, they don't stay in the book. I've had many characters who I intended to have in a story who 
Um, either they just don't come to life fully, or even if they do have a personality, they don't want to be part of the book. They just don't want to be in it. And I know that they're not they're not meant to be in that story. But then I have a character like Evangeline KC from the New Orleans series, where I was planning on a different book, completely different book, um, and it was going to be set in Oregon, yada, 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 and Evangeline was going to be a character in that book. But she came with me. When I changed books, she's like, oh, no, I'm packing up and coming with you. So there are some characters who want to live, who want to breathe so Desperately, they will come straight in and they will um, sort of take the story over. Otherwise, you have to coax along. I guess it's kind of like having children. Some are, you know, sort of more self-managed, and others you really got to keep an eye on. Hi, JD. I, Hi. This is this is it. We've got loads of questions for me. I have to. I'll ask for your apologies now. Right. So, where do I start? So. You've mentioned your love of the occult and yes. of people and that, that um, really quite passionate interest that you have, which comes through really clearly. So there's one part of me that's thinking, I really want to know where that comes from. But then the other part came when you were telling me about these characters coming to life as if they have, they have a control over you and your writing and they're guiding and directing you. So the question with that would be, do you think these characters are are meant to be and are they presented to you by something else? So if we go back to the first question of your interest in the occult and your belief and, and how you became interested, I'd be grateful. I, okay, so I tend to think, and many people will think I'm crazy, um, but I tend to think reality is far more plastic than um, we are led to believe by our senses um, I'm not denying that there is a concrete reality that we have to function in, and I think in that world, um, science rules. Science tells us how to live our lives safely and to function in a mm -hmm. daily world. They give us cell phones, they give us medicines, yay. They're the ones who own this, own this sort of realm. But I also think that there's a spiritual realm, and I think that... Um, Sort of like, gosh, you know, with Ender's Net of Jewels, where everything is sort of just, um, it's everything is imaginary on some level. So I think that um, when you reach out and tap into occult forces, you're actually reaching beyond the bubble we live in, and sometimes energies from beyond can make their way in, and sometimes you can connect with energies that are outside of your bubble. Um, I, I just, I don't know, I have a firm believer that there is, um, if there isn't magic in the world, there's magic outside the world. Um, with my New Orleans series, it's a bit of a spoiler, but part of what I have the character come to, um, Evangeline, she comes to the conclusion that there's absolutely no such thing as magic, but everything is made from magic. And that's kind of my occult view, that in the world we're in, um, you may not be able to access magic in the sense, you know, like Harry Potter waving the wand and seeing something happen appear before you, but everything is coming from a magical source. I, whatever that energy is, you can call it God, you can call it the universe, whatever it is. I think there's something out there. I'm not necessarily convinced that there's an old man with a beard who's like playing his like chess, you know, using his like chess pieces mm -hmm. on the board, but I think that there's a, there's a creative force out there. And, for me, to tie into the, about the characters, um, I, I've come to think of that creative force as sort of being like the author of our story, 
And the relationship I have with that author is the one I try to cultivate with my own characters, where we uh, we play together, we create together. I can't I can't create the story without them, and they can't exist without me because I'm their source. But through me, they take on a life of their own. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of my you know mystical philosophy in a nutshell. So um, oh, trying to try to recap that. So so in essence, there is your belief is there's an, there's an energy, there is something more to the world that we know, but what that is can't really be defined. But you know, it has an influence on what we do and how that brought to life is influenced through your characters. Yes. Good job. <laughs> yes. So, I think that's, that's, that's fascinating to me. So, um, so as a result of that, how much, how much influence do you feel? So, if we have this mystical energy that is outside of our own bubble, that is trying to educate our bubble into what is possible or what is out there past our bubble, how much influence do you think it has on your writings? Um, well, I try to keep myself open to that energy. Um, I try, so I would say that it has a lot of influence. Um, I think that sometimes, I, a lot of writers, I think, will tell you that you feel like an energy is passing through you um, in your creating. Um, some people disagree with that. For me, it kind of is the case where um, I, I feel like as if I'm somehow mirroring mirroring in my writing with my characters, my own experience with my creator. So um, I try to open myself up to that energy, that creative energy that creates everything I experience and use it to funnel into the stories I tell. So do you feel that this is actually an energy or would you, so for example, if I said, well, I think that's spirit. So if I had that view and I believed in spirit, I might say that's a spirit guide or that is, um, that's a relative or somebody that should have influence trying to influence others through you. What would your view on that be? Well, I, I think that spirit and energy are often sort of the same, um, kind of word for the same idea, but I, I don't know if I, um, I'm not sure if there's a, such a definite personality behind that, in my view, there may be, there may not be, that, you know, um, I, I honestly don't know, for me it is the mystery, part of what I enjoy doing is like, like the uh, Irish Smith song, I Let the Mystery Be, um, I find that, um, you know, I, I like opening myself up, but I don't feel the need to put in, try to put a face on what I'm dealing with. So um, possibly I mean, it could be ancestors helping. It could be, uh, you know, spirit guiding force. But for me, that doesn't matter as much as just the sense of connection that I have to it. I, I fully understand that. As, um, as somebody who, who who has um, practiced mediumship over the years, one of the things that for me has been really important development is that recognition that sometimes I know I will know information, but I have no absolute guarantee where that's coming from. 
There is there is nothing that in concrete I can say this is definitively where it's from. I just I just know this information and I think it's related to somebody, but that doesn't mean to say that is directly where it's coming from because I don't have oh, that evidence. It could be though. I mean, it could be Absolutely. someone, you know, but it's just um, I think that uh, quite often it's easier for us to put um, a face on an energy that is not necessarily comprehensible. And that's sort of how we get a handle on it. Absolutely. When, when, I, when I know where that's from, then I, can, I will absolutely say it. Other times, I don't know. You know, yeah. and it's um, it's a it's a balance. So they're kind of thinking around that energy and how we we may not always describe it as a spirit. I, I like that um, that that view. So with this interest, because you've got a very broad mind, you've got very open to anything else that might be. So very questioning mind. Where did that come from? When did you start to think actually this is this isn't all it is? There's more to this. Well, you know, I think it came in a response to a very fundamentalist upbringing. Um, I don't, it, well, it, it's odd because in my family there's always been sort of a mystical bit, but that's very much been colored by um, the old man in the sky with the beard and the devil coming to get you kind of thing. Um, yeah. So I think that um, as I moved away from that very concrete view of what God is and what the world is and what our purpose on life, you know, on earth is, um, I think I somehow kept the sense of the mystical, but I let go of the um, judgmental part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so not that there, I, I do believe there's there's a, a right and a wrong in some level, you know, don't like, you know, Ten Commandments, don't go killing people, that kind of thing, that I support. But I think that a lot of the um, the religious laws that, people place on people are just total, you know, ridiculous nonsense. Um, I think that we have, um, you know, we have a right to live our lives as long as you're not hurting, like the old saying, and you're harmed, you do what you will. That's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of sort of adopted the, the wicked creed on some level. I think it's um, as soon as we start defining something, that's when we become in battle with other people who define it differently. And actually, it's the set it's the set of values we live by that uh, that are the important things, you know, that yeah. don't, don't don't hurt other people. Yeah. And uh, and the influences that are out there, what what is out there, it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. We just know there is an influence, and we can use that positively or not. Absolutely. So so and that's a great time to be using it positively. <laughs> absolutely, and it's um, it's it's one of those things that people will always strive to understand because we have that we have that uh, absolute need as as part of the human race. We have to understand everything to the nth degree, and people don't like to accept there will be things that they don't understand, and it's okay. That doesn't mean to say it doesn't exist or it isn't there. So in, in terms of your, I mean, clearly brought up in a, with a, a religious overview, a, a, a kind of maybe a Christian belief, I'm not sure, but, but brought up in that religious, with that religious set of rules that uh, you realised don't need to be there. We don't need to be dictated. We don't have to have an image of what is out there. We can, we can live by a set of values. When did you start to think about the occult? Because that's, I, I know you get that with the whole devil thing as you grow up, you know, there's this God and there's the devil. But in terms of the occult, that's slightly different again. Oh, gosh, you know, I think um, 
like so many other nerds, that my first kind of experience of the occult was um, Dark Shadows when I was a very little boy. I was um, forbidden to watch it, so of course I would sneak in and watch it every chance I could. And, of course. Um, <laughs> the Night Stalker after that. So I think that probably television and books. I mean, I started reading um, ghost stories and things like, like Stephen King books when I was very, very, you know, should not. I, somehow I, they made it beneath my mother's radar. And um, so I've always had an interest. So I think part of the interest, too, was just that, um, you know, the sense of power that um, was conveyed in the occult and whether or not that is a concrete force that you can access in this world, um, you got to admit, like, especially in Dark Shadows, the witch was really the best character because she made everything happen, you know? Um, so I think that, uh, I, I have a natural bent because, like I said, I sort of come from a long line of mystical people, whatever, but... Um, it, television books, um, comic books, random sage, yeah, those, that it was through fantasy that I started developing my interest in the occult at first. Um, of course, later on, I went through and um, I, I've read so many kind of nonfiction books, um, partially for research, partially because I just enjoy reading about magic and about the occult. Have you, have you met and spent time with witches? Uh, well, yes, I have. Um, I, I certainly have. Um, not in a, a formal way. It's like visiting the coven or doing any kind of rites or anything. But, um, yeah, I've met several witches through the time. And I feel very good when um, quite often I will get uh, emails from uh, pra witch practitioners who will um, congratulate me on getting some sort of point they seeing as being uh, well expressed in my books. And I'm using something that resonates with them in my fiction. So, yeah, I know, I, 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 I hate to say this, but some of my best friends are witches. I know that sounds kind of goofy, but uh, yes, I, I do miss witches. So, uh, so the next question that I'm going to ask is, some people would think if you're dabbling with or you're researching or you're <clears> mixing <throat> with individuals who are part of the occult in whatever fashion, um, yeah. that they, they find they, they become more superstitious they start worrying about the impact of that or what they write. Do you, do you worry about anything like that? I'm not suggesting you should. It's just a question that people might ask. Well, okay, so, you know, I think that um, part of what I found is I've done a bit of, um, you know, I've, I, with the house industry dealing with um, true fiction, I mean, I'm sorry, true, true crime um, about serial killers, I, I honestly believe that, because um, I've read a lot of animal and I noticed that there's a darker energy that I feel tapping me on the shoulder when I read that kind of book than when I read about the occult. Um, so I think that, um, sure, possibly, I mean, you obviously watch where you're stepping, but I don't really believe that if you are grounded, um, especially grounded in this physical world, that there's any true danger. I don't think that there's any kind of you know, dark tone, any mm -hmm. kind of, uh, you know, that's out to grab your soul or something, as much as Lovecraft may have uh, popularized the idea. Oh, and, you know, speaking of rural, we have Leslie Rural. Oh, I, I know, I love her ghost book, too. She wrote a book, uh, a ghost book that sort of tied in with her mother's um, investigations at one point, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, she's a really interesting lady. Um, 
So where, where do you plan on going next? Like uh, after these series, are you going to continue in this type of writing, or are you going to do something? Well, that is a very good question. Um, I actually have been attempting with a few different stories. Um, one uh, would have been a mystery series. I say would have been because I've set it aside for now. Um, I was not able to, I, even though there were some really good characters who have been very patient with me and waiting to play, I couldn't quite get the story together. So I've set it aside, and I, um, long story short, I have been, long before I was published, I tried to get published, so I was sort of an overnight success that was 20 years in the making, and when I was 27, I started a novel that I set aside, and during a recent-ish move, I found those pages. And I read them and decided there was still some life in that story, so I have been playing with that um, recently to see if I could do, for like a collaboration with 27-year-old me, and see what kind of story we could tell together. So um, I've been working on that for a while. Um, that, too, has been not coming easily. So um, I'm focusing on that. I'm also attempting to do um, a screenplay because, hey, I live in Southern California, so I think it's law you have to do a screenplay at some point. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm sort of, I'm trying to open myself up to that creative energy of the universe because right now I'm not feeling it come through very strongly. So um, that's the best answer I can give. So I'm, I'm trying a lot of different things, but I'm not sure what's going to stay at this point. Now, when, when someone um, buys your book, any one of your books, and they go home and they read it, what is it that you want them to take away from it? Like, what is it that you're trying to give to the reader? I try to write a story on many different levels. First, there is an entertainment value. I love a good um, just yarn that has a lot of uh, plot twists and a lot of surprises. Um, I, I love that. I love writing that. But I also try to say something about human relationships um, and trust and um, where we fit in the world, what we owe society, what society owes us, how, you know, how it all kind of meshes together in my mind. And then, especially with the um, New Orleans series, I was, I, with the Savannah series, I was writing about the occult. I was writing books, you know, with the occult in. But with the New Orleans series, I set out to write books that were not only um, about the occult, but would be occult books in and of themselves. So the final book of the New Orleans series, um, if you read between the lines, you will see there is a lot of occult teachings built in. So... I've, I've toyed with the idea of doing like a, a grimoire based on the New Orleans series, basically, um, because it's, with the whole series, it addresses um, many aspects of not, I've, I've never really been into ceremonial magic, um, but of the mythology behind magic. So it's, um, I, I hope that depending on where the reader comes for it, what the reader comes for, they find in the story. As I said, I do have some readers who are witches and who are pulp practitioners, and it always feels good to me when they get back in touch with me and say, hey, good job, you know. Um, but I also love it when people just say, oh, you know, that story was so much fun. I, I had so much fun seeing how this character went through his or her path. So I'm trying to read up, reach readers on several levels. may not be doing that, but I'm trying. 
<laughs> That's all you can do. How do you how do you feel about that with the with, you know our modern world and um, people can get in touch with you and they can leave uh, you know nasty statements as well as good. Like the interaction is a lot more available. So how does how does that affect you as a writer? Do you do you follow the reviews? Or? You know, I don't read reviews that are not. I, I read professional reviews, so like Publishers Weekly. Um, if it's written by you know if it's in a newspaper or if it's in a magazine. I will read it then. Um, but the problem with um, reader-based um, reviews is that they either make your head too big or they make you feel like garbage. Um, so basically, I've heard friends say like you can kind of trust the three-star reviews because that's probably the clearest fo- you know focus of what you're doing. The five-star reviews, yeah, you've got a fan and they love you and that's great. The one stars, the book was just not for them, you know. Um, but yeah, people can eviscerate you. They, I have had some experiences where people, have, like, I got an email from somebody in Greece wanting to let me know how horrible of a writer I was. I'm like, really? You're on the other side of the planet. You have, you know, you must have something better to do with your life. You're taking the time. But for anybody who, um, you know, I, I, you get a, you get a, one email from a negative email, and then you get a hundred good emails. And you know, I'm afraid I'm one of these people that I might tend to focus more on that negative email. But I, if you do get an email where somebody appreciate what you're doing, if they understand what you're doing, if they just like the story, that really does help um, cover for the ones that don't. But you know, most of the time, sometimes people will write me and be like, "I don't like this about your book," and I'm like, "You know what?" I agree. I wish I could have found a better way to do that too. But you know, it's, it's so much is based on taste. So much is based on um, people's expectations when they read a book. And part of what I'd say about the creative energy of a book is that yes, you write one book, but the reader reads a different book because they're bringing so much of themselves to it. And quite often, you'll have people ask you a question about something that you know, why you did something in a book that you didn't do. This is actually something they brought to it themselves. And so it's a partnership. I wish that readers would appreciate that um, quite often their experience is half theirs, you know, and that's, yeah, sometimes books are really bad. Sometimes books don't grab you. But it's also a lot of what you're expecting and what you're hoping for in that book. And what may not work for you is working really well for someone else. What kind of atmosphere do you need to write, write your books? Like where where do you do that? Where do you do that? Is it as it be in a country or is it in your in your home or do you go away? Or, and um, where do where do you write? My world is in my head. Um, I don't need any particular um, setting. I've written in a major city. I've written in uh, the middle of nowhere, and I've written in a small city. Right now, I'm in Palm Springs, California, which is like the biggest small city in the world. But um, yeah, it doesn't really affect me. I uh, I find that once I move into that space where I'm living in the world that I'm writing, what is on the outside doesn't really matter unless it's, you know, obviously if there's like major construction going on right next door, that might give me some issues. But just the atmosphere in general, um, it doesn't really matter to me. Wow. Um, so um, do you have a website or do you have a place that you'd like people to go if they want to find out more about you? I do. If you just go to uh, um it will tell you far more than you ever wanted to know about me. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs>
Great. Now we're going to have that up on our website as well and, and some of your books. So any of our listeners can go there with just one click. Very uh, cool. Again, um, our guest has been the author, J.D. Horn. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Thanks. It was fun. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. You're lying to me. I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.